0: He is good, he is good, Christ is risen, indeed, hallelujah. You may be seated this morning, thank you worship team, appreciate you all. Good to be in the house this morning. You know, I'm not a morning person at all, and so these 8.30 services have really pushed me to the limits, all right, just so you know. The 8.30 service means I have to be here earlier than 8.30, and I'm just not a morning person, but, you know, I step into the room this morning, and I, I prepare myself to preach, and it's just good to feel the presence of God in here, and so even though it's early in the morning, it's not even 9 o'clock yet, people. God is good. God is good. His word, His presence is here, and uh, I'm just excited to be here this morning. So I'm the executive pastor. My name is Pastor Keith, and i uh, Pastor Greg's on vacation, and I'm glad that he gets to enjoy himself and get a little bit of rest. And so I have the privilege of bringing the word this morning. And we're going to continue in our our series in Acts. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. And specifically, we're going to be reading the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. And the message this morning is titled, Misplaced Priorities. Misplaced Priorities. Have you ever noticed that we as human beings take good things and turn them into bad things. We're just naturally good at taking things that are good and making them the ultimate thing and turning them into bad things, right? Have you ever noticed how much you spend on your phone? This is a good thing. It's used for communication. It's used for knowledge. I can go to Google and Google anything in the world and figure it out, right? I don't know what I would do without Google. I don't know what you did 25 years ago without Google dictionaries and encyclopedias, oh my gosh, what in the world did you do, right? This is a good thing, this is a good thing, but we've turned it into the ultimate thing and it's used for terrible things now, correct? Social media is a good thing, we can connect with people, we've turned it into a bad thing, the ultimate thing. We have misplaced our priorities in so many different ways in our lives we've made good things into bad things, right? Such as our kids, being a parent to kids. We've put our kids on a pedestal and being a parent is a good thing. Spoiling your child is a good thing in some areas, but making them the ultimate thing before God is a misplaced priority, correct? And so it's easy to take good things and misplace them. And so we're gonna read a story in action misplacing your priorities. And I'm going to in the Bible and you didn't want to believe it. You read it, it shocks you a little bit. You don't want to believe it, but it's the truth. And you're like, oh, okay, it's the truth. It's the word of God. How do I apply it to my life? Well, I just want to preface the story in the way that when I first initially read it and studied it, I didn't really want to believe it. I didn't want to believe that this is truth. I didn't want to believe that this is what happened But when I studied it more, God gave me the realization of how to apply it to my life. And so we're going to start in Acts chapter 4 at the very end in verse 32. And it's titled The Believers Share Their Possessions. And so, verse 32 all believers were one in heart and mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Continuing on to Acts chapter 5, it's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then some of the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Hmm, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Believe it or not, this passage isn't about what you are what you are not giving financially to God. It has little to do with your tithing practices, little to do with your charity giving. You may read this passage and immediately feel a sense of guilt. I read this passage and immediately felt a sense of guilt in the sense of, I haven't sold all of my possessions and I have not given it to the needy or to the church. I am guilty of that. I'm pretty sure you're probably guilty of that too. You haven't, if you've sold all your possessions and you've given everything you've had to the church, please stand up. There you go. You are all guilty of not doing that. And so this passage isn't necessarily about selling your possessions and giving it all to the needy and to the church, right? It's not about your tithing practices. It's not about how you give or what you give. We're gonna focus in on the verses uh, in verse three when it says, then Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before you sold it? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? Have you not lied to just human beings but to God? The first point this morning is to prioritize honesty in your life. Prioritize honesty. God already knows everything. He knows you. He knows your emotions. He knows your life. He knows what you have. He knows all about you. And on top of that, The gift of discernment from Peter on display in the story is powerful. It's a powerful display of the Holy Spirit in Peter's life, being able to call out the lie without even knowing it was a lie, right? So you have the early beginning of the church, and you have all of these people who are following the apostles. You see, many of these people were just filled in the Holy Spirit. Many of these people were just saved. They've they've seen miracles happen in the sense of people being healed, but they just witnessed Peter call out someone for lying of which he didn't have previous knowledge of. They just saw the power of the Holy Spirit calling out a lie in such a wonderful and powerful way. It's called discernment. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are more than just physical healings, more than just speaking in tongues, more than just different languages going on in this early time period and even in our time. The gift of the Holy Spirit is also very practical. Let me tell you what, when I was a young kid, my parents who were filled with the Holy Spirit said, don't lie to me because the Holy Spirit will tell me. That put a fear into my heart, and I didn't think that was very fair. My mother, she would say, I know you're lying. I just know you are. The Holy Spirit tells me you're lying. And as a young boy, I thought that that was not a fair trait, not very fair that she would be able to understand that. And as parents, it's important for us to be discerning, right? If you're a parent, you have to have the discerning spirit of when your child is naturally sinful because let me tell you all of us are naturally sinful and so you as a parent it's important to have discernment for what's right and what's best for your child and what your child is saying to you might not always be the 100 percent truth and so my parents would know different things about my life because the holy spirit empowered them to know right isn't that an incredible tool that we need to take advantage of we need to take advantage of the Holy Spirit and discernment in our own lives to be able to see what is right and what is wrong, to be able to see who was lying to you and who was not lying to you, not only in your family, not only your children, but also in generality with people themselves. Wouldn't it be nice to know if someone is looking at you in the face and telling you a straight lie? It's just a nice tool to have. It's called the gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. It's powerful. It's powerful. There's also major, major theological implications here in this scripture verse, the dichotomy of your sinful nature versus Satan. Did Satan make them lie, or did their sinful nature cause them to lie? I look at Galatians 5.16, and it reads, so I live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature? They are in conflict with each other so that you do not know what you want. There's a great battle going on within your spirit, within your soul. Things of God, the Holy Spirit, your indwelling of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit are contrary to what your flesh, your sinful nature wants. And unfortunately, all of us have a sinful nature. We all have one. We will fight against it until the day we die. All of us are sinful by nature, We may not be able to make it go away, but we can learn how to identify our sinful nature. And here are a few good things to know about your sinful nature, even when it speaks. Our sinful nature is always contrary to the Spirit. Our sinful nature is very selfish. I don't know about you, but I'm a selfish person. I can't help it. It's my sinful nature. You are selfish too. It always wants something, it is never happy, and it is never satisfied. Your sinful nature is stubborn and unteachable. It can become dogmatic and legalistic. In Romans 8, 7, it says the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Your sinful nature is full of pride. It constantly seeks to justify itself. It often urges us to take the most comfortable way. Think about that one. We live in a life of comfort. Our sinful nature often makes us or urges us to make the most comfortable way. Our sinful nature lacks self-control. Romans 7, 18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature for I have the desire to do what is good but I cannot carry it out. And above all else, our sinful nature is deceitful. It does not know what's best for it and therefore it cannot be trusted. In Jeremiah seventeen nine, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it. So we have our sinful nature, correct? All of us are sinful by nature. We all have a tendency to sin, but we also have the adversary. We have Satan. And Satan name, Satan's name means adversary or one who opposes. Satan is an accuser. In Revelations 12:10 it says, "And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, "Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come." For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Satan is also a tempter. In Matthew 4, 3, it says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be loaves of bread. Satan is also a deceiver. In 2 Corinthians 4, in the case The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we have Satan who is an accuser, who is a tempter, who is a deceiver. And these are all job descriptions. From the accuser's appearance in the books of Job and Zechariah, it seems that the job entails calling attention to the unworthiness of mankind. Satan is essentially the prosecuting attorney in the divine court of God. And part of Satan's job includes collecting evidence to prove his case. So we have a sinful nature, but it's also Satan's job to prove how sinful we actually are. It's a common question that's often mishandled. It's whose fault is it? Is it our sinful natures or is it Satan? Satan is blamed for everything evil. And while there's a certain case that this is true, it is Satan's fault. It fails to take into consideration other issues such as our own personal responsibility for our actions. And it's easy to make excuses for our actions. Have you ever heard the excuse, the devil made me do it? I wish I could say that about everything. If I fall and I stumble and I sin or do something, oh, the devil made me do it. Can you imagine professional athletes who get caught cheating if their explanation was the devil made me do it? Think about Lance Armstrong when he got caught with all the performance-enhancing drugs. Oh, the devil made me do it. I'm sorry. I won all of these races because the devil made me do it. Or Tom Brady, who deflated footballs, right? He's, he's going to tell you, oh, the devil made me do it. Or Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens taking steroids, hitting home runs, striking people out. Oh, the devil forced me to take steroids so that I can be a better athlete, right? How, how stupid does that sound? The devil made me do it because there's responsibility of your own actions that comes into play. At what point do we have to take responsibilities for our own sinful nature when we sin? The devil certainly takes advantage, but he doesn't make you sin, believe it or not. It's your own sinful nature and your own personal choices that you choose And so people are inclined to blame the devil in order to remove their guilt, to justify their actions or to ignore their responsibilities. And the things God wants to teach us through suffering are important. It's been true from the very beginning, from the very beginning in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned. Adam blamed Eve for sinning and Eve blamed Satan for sinning. It's always a blame game. In fact, It's important for us to realize when we make mistakes to own up to your mistakes. Be honest before God and be humble before him and be honest with yourself. Because not everything is Satan's fault, but Satan does help play into weaknesses. And let me tell you, we are all weak in some areas. Ananias and Sapphira's weaknesses were idols. And so point number two, we have to prioritize who We are worshiping. Who we are worshiping. The first of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before me. The primary way to define sin is not just doing bad things, but making of good things into the ultimate thing or ultimate things. It is seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship with God. It's anything that you put above God, anything you worship above God. A form of ideology began with Ananias and Sapphira when they witnessed the celebration and the acceptance of Barnabas in chapter chapter four of Acts. In verse 36, it reads, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Ananias and Sapphira witnessed Barnabas sell his property and bring it to the apostles' feet. Satan, who is the deceiver, the tempter, the accuser, sees how this affects Ananias and Sapphira Sapphira and their deep emotions, and he plays with their emotions. He says, Only if you sold your property and you gave it away gave it away and you gave it to the apostles so that they could distribute it to those who are in need. If only you did that, then you will be accepted into the Christian community. If only you sold your property and you gave it to the apostles, then they would recognize your sacrifice and they would praise you for your sacrifice. If only you sold your property, they would understand and recognize how much of a sacrifice and they will accept you into their community. Ultimately, Ananias turned a good thing into the ultimate thing. They put the approval, the recognition, and acceptance of others With the sale of their property and donation above the actual worship of why they were doing that. Why were they selling the property? It's a good thing that they sold the property, gave it to the apostles so that the apostles could bless those who were in need. That is a good thing, but they made it into the ultimate thing because they sold it in order to get recognition and acceptance. Do you understand that? They made the idol of acceptance, they made the idol of recognition first and foremost. Their heart was in the wrong place, their actions were in the right place, how many of you know that can happen in our lives when we do the right thing for the wrong reasons? When you do the right thing for the wrong reasons, when your heart is deceiving you, it's wicked, and you're doing it for another reason, you can be fooled into thinking you're doing something good, but in reality, you're pushing God away because you're doing it for yourself. has turned this good thing into the ultimate thing, and it's called the approval idol in this case. And many of us fall victim to this type of idolatry. It's the approval idol. If you seek approval, if you seek affirmation, if you seek love, if you seek relationships above all else, if you seek the approval of man above the approval of God, that is the approval idol. Your greatest nightmare is rejection. The people around you often feel smothered, and your problem emotion is cowardice or lack of bravery. You see, Ananias and Sapphira, they were seeking the approval of the Christian community. They were seeking the approval of the apostles. They, wanted the rec- they watched Barnabas sell his property, give it to the apostles, and they saw the recognition that he got. They saw the approval and the acceptance that Barnabas got. And they wanted that. They wanted that acceptance. They wanted that approval, which caused them to sell a piece of their property. Many times in our lives, we do things just for the approval of man, just for the approval of people. We have to catch ourselves before we do something like that and to put our heart in the right place. If we just do things to be approved by others, it affects every area of our life and the way that we dress and the way that we talk, the actions that we do, speak, the, the cars that we drive, the jobs that we have. If, if we did everything based on the approval of others, we're not really living life. We're just living life in the perspective of what other people think of you. And if you need people that need you, if you are needy for neediness, if you need people that need your help, to need you, you have an approval idol because you will bow down and do anything for everyone. How many of you are, don't raise your hand, how many, how many of you are people who can't say no to someone else? You can't say no. They ask you to do something and you jump up and you do it right away. You can't say no, right? You have to check your heart because sometimes it's wise and okay to say no. Sometimes it's okay not to volunteer for everything. Of course, it's just contrary to what we're asking you to do as volunteer for the cafe ministry. That's not everything. We need you to volunteer for the cafe ministry, right? right? We, don't, we don't say no to that, but say no to other things in your life that are taking up your time, right? If you're a person who can't say no, check your heart and try to understand why you can't say no. Are you seeking the approval of the other people who are asking you to do something above God who is Giving you the responsibility to take your time wisely, right? If you burn yourself out doing things for other people and you don't serve your family, are you in the right place? If you burn yourself out doing other things but you can't take care of yourself, are you in the right place? Check your heart and your idols. The approval idol is so practical in our lives and we fall into that trap so often. So Satan didn't make Ananias and Sapphira worship, approval, recognition, acceptance, but he gave them the opportunity too. He certainly gave them the opportunity. They watched what happened with Barnabas and he gave them the opportunity to do the same thing. And what makes the story so revealing is we see how the story is a story of competing idols within the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. Not only were they driven for the approval of the church community, they were also stuck with their own desires of control and comfort and power. You see again in verse three, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? So by keeping some of the profit themselves, they fell into the worship of control and comfort. Instead of giving all of the money that they received to the community, they were tempted to control their own fate and they wanted an insurance policy for their own comfort They wanted the assurance that their needs were going to be met. Notice that the verse in the beginning of this story says they sold a piece of their property. It says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of their property, which means they didn't sell the whole entire thing. They didn't sell their whole entire estate. They didn't sell everything they had. It only says that they sold a piece. Maybe this was one-tenth of their property. Maybe this was their tithe. No one knows. All we know is that the piece of which they sold to give to the community was not fully given. What would drive Ananias and Sapphira to sell part of the property to give away and then not follow through with giving all of it away? The temptation and idol of control and the idol of comfort. They wanted all the recognition, approval, and acceptance for the gift, but the control and the comfort that they had to give up was outside of their comfort zone, outside of what they perceive as their own destiny, and just in case this whole Jesus thing didn't work out with this community, they wanted the assurance that they could provide for themselves. They were worshiping the idol of control. The idol of control, if you seek control, if you seek self-discipline, if you seek certainty, if you seek standards, your greatest nightmare is uncertainty. People around you often feel condemned, and your problem and emotion is worry, so Ananias and Sapphira probably sold their property with the intention of giving all of it away. They sold a piece of the property with the intention of giving all of their proceeds to the apostles. But before they got to that point of giving it all away, something happened in their mindset. And they realized that if they gave all of this away, that there was an insurance policy for themselves. They would, maybe wouldn't have enough money to provide for themselves or maybe they were just scared that they weren't going to be able to live off the rest of the property that they had, and so they thought they needed this. They needed the proceeds. They needed some of these proceeds, and so by not giving away all of it, they were controlling their own destiny. They were essentially saying, God, we control what we see. We don't worship you. We're worshiping what we actually have. It's an aspect of the control idol, and so many of us have that in our own lives we have to control everything that's why so many of us have the problem emotion of worrying about everything if you worry about your family about your kids constantly if you worry about your career if you worry about everything it's because you're trying to control it and not fully giving it over to god when we give our fears our worries to god and we say god we know that you're in control i don't have to be in control i don't have to understand what's going on because i trust in you i have faith but yet, many of us fall into the fear of worrying about everything. We just worry. We worry about what could happen here, what could happen here. Our minds race to the worst-case scenario immediately. When our minds race to the worst-case scenario when we worry that this could happen, it hasn't actually happened, but it could happen, and we dwell on that and we think about that, that's because we want to be in control of the whole situation so that nothing can happen. It's the idol of control. We're worshiping control over over worshiping God who controls everything. And Ananias and Sapphira fell into the trap of not giving all of their money away because they wanted to control what they could control. They also fell into the trap of comfort. They had a certain lifestyle. If they sold all of their property and gave it away, what would happen to their comfortable lifestyle? What would happen? They don't know. And so if you seek the idol of comfort, you seek privacy, you seek Lack of stress, you seek freedom. Your greatest nightmare is stress or demands, and the people often around you feel neglected. And your problem emotion is boredom. We're in a culture that creates comfort. I mean, fast food. I mean, industries that serve you are serving you so you can be comfortable. Everything around us is so that you can be comfortable. If you just picture what life was like 100 years ago, how different life was like compared to life now. We are living in the most comfortable time period in history. Life is pretty easy now compared to it was just in the past in general. Everything is geared towards comfort. And we fall into the idol of comfort so easily because we just want to make all of our decisions so that we can be comfortable. And it's important to recognize comfort as an idol before God. Ananias and Sapphira certainly didn't recognize it, but they fell into the trap when they decided not to give all of their money to God or to the apostles, but kept some of it back so that they could sustain their comfortable lifestyle. Satan devoured them on their greatest nightmare of uncertainty. Will they have enough property, enough money to live on? What happens if they run out? Will God provide for them? The worry ate their souls and drove them not to follow through on which is apparent for what God wanted them to do. They wanted to avoid the stress of not having enough to live in comfort. What they lacked was the faith that God was in control and God was taking care of them. So instead, they fell into the idols of control and of comfort, and they worried about everything. And they fell into the idol of approval because they wanted the approval of the Christian community, of the apostles, and they would do anything to get that recognition, but they forgot... Who approval, whose approval is the most important, and that's God's approval. This last point is we must prioritize holiness. The last verse in this and it says in verse 11, the great fear sees the whole church and all who heard about these events. The church was in its infant stage at this time. It was just the beginning, and through this event, there, were, there was a fear that was created that needed to be reminded to the new converts of Jesus that there was to be a respect and the reverence for Jesus and for God. And there was a holiness that was expected for them. If I could have our worship team come and join us as we close. This is a reminder for us today. We are to honor God with a reverence that's been lacking in our society. My grandfather is the holiest man I've ever met in my life. He was a pastor of the same church for 40 years. And we spent Thanksgiving with him one year. I was like 12 years old. And uh, we spent Thanksgiving with him. And the next day, was Black Friday. now Black Friday is much different now because we order everything online. And so you didn't actually go out to stores and shop on Black Friday now. But back then, like 20 years ago, we did. And so on Black Friday, my mom, my sister, and my grandmother were so excited to go shopping on Black Friday, and so they woke up in the morning ready to do that. And my dad and I love college football, and so we would watch college football on that Friday after Thanksgiving. And so we we're preparing for our days, excited in the morning. My grandfather stopped everyone and was like, "No, I want everyone to join me in the living room and pray, right?" And we're like, okay. "Okay, all right, all right, Pop, we'll go pray with you." So we go to the living room, and he starts like praying, like wailing and praying. He makes all of us kneel down at the, at the, at our couch, and we're all sitting there praying. He's praying over each and every one of us, and he's praying, praying, praying. And you know, and I'm like 12 years old, and I can only pray so much when you're 12 years old, right? And so I start peeking around, I start looking, and, and I'm not the only one getting agitated, like, getting, like, wiggly. I see my, my mom, like, looking around, like, is this gonna keep going? My sister's looking around. How long are we gonna pray here? My grandma, you know, she sticks her heads up, looks at her grandmother, Her husband, my grandfather, like you, can continue to pray. We got a lot of exciting things to do today, and so, so once I noticed my grandmother looking up, I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not crazy here. And so my grandmother takes the first step. She stands up, right, and she slowly walks out of the room. And then, if my grandmother does it, then my mom does it. If my mom stands up and she walks out of the room, my my grandfather's praying that I know it's okay. So my sister and I walk up. We get out of the room, and. uh, And my grandfather finally finishes praying my father who sat next to my grandfather was praying there and he he sits up and he looks around he's like what happened where did everyone go and he walks into the other room like pop or dad pop was praying way too long and we got things to do today and he was like this was a special time pop was praying for our whole family It, it it was a time for us to pray as a family and and Just what struck me was the holiness of my grandfather to pray for the family and how distracted the rest of my family was of the things we were gonna do that day. And it was a funny story because it was okay. My grandfather wasn't mad, but it just made me, put me in the perspective of the reverence of God that my grandfather has to pray for his family all this time. And there's so many different things going on in our lives that sometimes we can be distracted from the reverence of God in our own lives. We can be distracted by the goodness and faithfulness of God in our own lives. And sometimes our flesh and our sinful nature gets in the way. We were distracted by shopping that day. We were distracted by football, but that was the time that my grandfather set out to pray for our family. And we were just distracted. And it was our own sinful nature. And it's okay to admit that we stumble and we fall and we make mistakes. And it's okay to admit that you can't pray for hours, right? I can't pray for hours at a time. And I'm a pastor, right? It's okay to admit that I have a sinful nature. It's okay to admit and be honest before God and know that you stumble. But when we look at the dichotomy of the spirit in our lives compared to the sinful nature in our lives, it's always, it's important to remember that the Spirit is contrary. When we want more of the Spirit in our lives, that the Spirit is always there and willing to fill you. One of my favorite verses, Joel 20, or 2:28, the day of the Lord, and it says, and afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour my Spirit out in those days. The Holy Spirit is open and available for us, church. I'm going to ask you to stand. God is not done with us. God is not done with you individually. God is not done with us corporately as a church. The Holy Spirit is open and available. He convicts. He shows us where we're wrong. And he also fills us with the Spirit to embolden us to do mighty and powerful things. Because how many of you know you need some more discernment in your life? How many know you need some more boldness and encouragement in your life? How many know that you can't bow down before idols that sneak up into your lives that are good things but then become ultimate things before God? Right? That's how the devil works. He deceives us in thinking we're doing good things until we make them the ultimate thing. And all of a sudden we realize that God is not first in my life. This idol is first in my life. That's why we need the, the, the refreshing of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis in our lives. That's why we need God's Spirit every single day of our lives because God reminds us of our sinful nature and he fills us with, us, with his Spirit, which is holy. And we have a reverence for God during that time. Amen, church. Amen. So after I pray, I'm going to invite you to come to the altars. I'm going to ask our prayer works to make themselves available to pray for you. If you're just seeking God, you want more of God, I encourage you just to come forward, get prayed for. If you're seeking healing, something in your life's going on, come forward, get prayed for, and uh, that'll be wonderful. But if you have to leave, you are welcome to leave after I pray. The exit's on the left. Your children, not this service. This is the 8.30 service. We don't have children's ministry just yet. It's the next two services. But uh, you're welcome to leave, and uh, God bless you this morning. And So, Lord, we're so grateful for your Holy Spirit that fills our lives, your Holy Spirit that gives us gifts of discernment, that gives us empowerment, encouragement, and boldness. Father, we pray that you would encounter us in a practical way this morning, that you would teach us through the story about how idols can come into our lives and sneak up lord how how the devil is the deceiver the accuser lord he's the tempter he places things in our lives but it's ultimately our decisions to sin and so lord i pray that right now that we would have the will to do what is right to do what is good that we would have the honesty and the humility before you father to bow before you to serve you only and to recognize different idols in our lives and put you first before anything else lord help us to realize that you are the ultimate thing, that you are our Lord and Savior and that our life means nothing without you. So Father, help us to recognize that we are identified as Christians because we wanna follow you, Jesus, in every area of our lives. And so I pray that blessing over us as a congregation today and bless those who are gonna come forward to be prayed for this morning, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit, refresh them with your Spirit this morning, Lord, in your name that we pray, amen, amen. God bless you, church, and I will see you next time.